0: the Chelik Yud volume 17 the sikha for parsha's Bihar and Lakba omer i would strongly recommend that before we go over the sikha you do a quick review of the verses that apply to the sikha and that is in chapter 25 at least the first part of the chapter uh all the way up to and, or especially uh, verse 20 21 and then later uh in the end of the chapter verses 47 and 48. A few quick concepts that will appear in this Sicha. First of all, the idea of toraso umnaso, which we once had in a previous Sikha, which means literally his Torah is his only engagement or his Torah is his only profession, so to speak, meaning these are, these are exclusive level of sages, of scholars, that their entire endeavor was the study of Torah. They did nothing else but study Torah. Then also there's a concept of rotzo versus shuv. Rotzo can be translated a th- forward thrust, a strong burning desire to come closer to Hashem, whereas shuv, which comes from the word return, means to return, to come to speak, so to speak, to be, you know, um, with, with a practical application how to bring it back into practicality into reality okay so has this desire to become supernatural above and beyond the norms the restrictions of this natural world whereas shuv considers the reality that we live in that hashem put us in namely how to bring it back down so to speak how to implement it in day-to-day life in this Sikha, we're going to learn the superb connection between three things that come together that is this week's parsha, parsha's bahar a mishnah in this week's perkei in chapter four of pk and of course lagwa omer which is the day of passing of the vashem and we're going to come to appreciate the purpose the ultimate purpose the ultimate agenda so to speak in the study of torah which is Applicable even to the greatest of scholars, to those that seem to be aloof, that seem to be removed from today to day, the day to day reality of life. So this year, says the Rebbe in the Sikha, and so too in many years, it comes out that we read the Parsha of Bihar and we read we study the fourth chapter in Prekaya Vot in the same week in which Lag Omer falls out. And following the dictate. Of the great Kabbalist, the Holy Shalom, Rabbi Yitzchak Harwitz, Rabbi Shayau Harwitz, he maintains that whenever a certain festival or special occasion falls out during a specific parsha, it must have a special connection, an integral connection with that particular parsha. In other words, the essence of it is intrinsically brought out, brought out in that parsha, and indeed. Not only in the parashah, but we also find in the prike avot that we study on this Shabbat that there is a special connection to Lagba Omer because Lagba Omer is the day of passing Rabbi Shimon Beyechai and in this week's prike we find a Mishnah, Mishnah number 13. It states the following Rabbi Shimon says, Rabbi Shimon means Rabbi Shimon Be'ichai, that there are three crowns. There's the crown of Torah, there's the crown of Kahuna of priesthood and this crown of Malchus of kingship And then he says, and there is the crown of Shem Tov, which literally means a good name, which translates into the crown of good deeds, of Masim Tovim, as the older commentaries explain. The Keser Shem Tov Ola Al gabayim, it supersedes all of them, or literally goes up on top of all the others. Now, the Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechoy, he was the most prolific of all the sages. In the Tanaic period in the Mishnaic period to the extent that there is not one chapter in the talmud that you don't find a mention or a law either explicitly or at least inexplicitly, in the name of rabbi Shimon so if so the fact that in this particular chapter was brought is, I mean, is stated specifically this saying of rabbi Shimon and it happens to coincide with his day of passing which what is the idea of the day of passing especially for a tzaddik that is the day where his entire life's work all of his achievements all of his spiritual endeavors all come to a culmination and they now reach a higher level this is the choice mishnah this is the choice saying in the name of the shima although he had said many many things and many laws and many many suggestive you know good deeds and good thoughts and so on and so forth so it's obvious that this has a special connection and this brings out so to speak the main teaching the main ideology the main approach to torah of rabbi Yochai. so you have a special connection to 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 L'Aqba omer and now let's see the connection to our parsha you see in our parsha parsha's behar we we really, if we look at it, we observe it. We can see that there seems to be two extremes. In the one hand, what does the parsha begin with? The parsha begins with the laws of shmita, the sabbatical year. Now, what is the laws of the sabbatical year? It's inherent in the fact that you are settled in the land. It says, when you'll come to the land, you'll settle, you plow for six years. In other words, you live in the reality of the world, in the in the in the dictates of you know day to day life, and then. You reach a point where the Torah says you should practice a sabbatical year. And even then the Torah says life, at least the way you're going to live it, from a very practical perspective, from a very practical standpoint, to the extent that you're even going to ask, the Torah says, If you're going to ask, you're going to argue and say, "Hey, if we're not going to plow and we're not going to sow, we're not going to reap anything. Then what are we going to eat?" And then Hashem promises and He says, "Don't worry, I will provide already in advance." Well, you see that this is already dealing with, so to speak, it, 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 um, it's, it's, um contesting with a state in which the people are in the world dealing with the reality, so to speak, of the natural order of things. And then it goes even, it descends even lower. And it talks about people who don't have money and what happens if they have to sell themselves. Even to the end where it goes in in the later verses, in verse 47, 48, it goes to the ultimate extent bad extent that is where one sells himself to a non-jew and even worse as the commentaries explain as rashi says not just a non-jew but to one who's now going to is hiring him is buying him for the purpose of maintaining the idols taking care of the idol worshippers, and that of course is so terrible and the time ta- even there the, ta- the 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 the, the parsha says there is even like a thought, a suggestion that maybe I should follow in his ways. If my master does such, I should also do this. So, in other words, you see a a a continuous and almost a a a, a gradual but continuous decline in in matters, going from being just in Israel, being involved and and so to speak, maintaining a life which conforms to the realities, not to the spiritual realities, but to the material realities and going lower and lower and lower. So that's one extreme. But on the other hand, what do we find? The entire Parsha is called Bahar Sinai. That's the name of the parsha, Bahar, in the mountain. Which mountain? In the mountain of Sinai. What is Har Sinai synonymous with? What is Har Sinai? What makes it significant? That giving of the Torah, the revelation of, of godliness, the most elevated thing possible. This is the most elevated place in the world. From here comes everything. From here comes the entire Torah. So you have two extremes. How is that possible? The answer is that this is exactly the whole purpose of everything. The, the, this, is, this is the point of everything. The purpose is, quote, not to remain on the mountain, not to remain aloof, not to remain removed in that highest point in the world figuratively, but rather to be involved in the world in a practical manner within nature, within what's governed by day-to-day life, and yet at the same time to, so to speak, overpower the, quote, rules of nature and rise above it. And similarly, we find and this Mishnah that we quoted. You see, the Mishnah that we quoted, what does it say? Rabbi Shimon is the one who is the author of this Mishnah. He is the one saying this, this message. And yet, who was he? He was somebody who was known as Um Naso. He was the ultimate example. He was the ultimate, so to speak, poster child for what it is to be Um Naso. That he didn't stop his learning at all to the extent that we know that the 12 years That he was in the cave with his son hiding from the romans he didn't even have the ability even if he wanted to to perform any of the physical mitzvot all he did was study torah and he was able to accomplish everything through the study of torah and yet what does he say that what is the main thing what is the ultimate Kesh Shemto of the crown that is associated with deeds this good good deeds with mitzvot that that surpasses everything that is olal gabayim that is the purpose of everything the purpose even of torah is the actual deed so now we need a clarification we need to understand this you know it's one thing if you're talking about your regular average person or even your above average person even a scholar but the fact that they are anyway engaged in worldly things explains why in their realm Torah alone is not everything and it's not the ultimate and the ultimate is when you're able to take that Torah and translate it to direct it into action that I understand but how could it be that for the Rashbi himself Rabbi ben Yechai, how could it be said for him that even for him who is only engagement in in in, in the in, in the world his only endeavor, so to speak, was to speak, was to study the words of Torah, was this? To, I'm sorry, his only endeavor was to study Torah, and yet even he, and for him, he says that the ultimate is keser shem Tov, the crown of action, of good deeds, is what surpasses everything. How is that, how is that possible? How can we say that it goes and it goes higher than everything? Now it's true. That even in the tractate Yerushalmi, where it discusses the virtues of Rabbi Shimon Be'echai, over there too, the Gemara, the Talmud, gives an argument and says, Does Rabbi Shimon not agree that you do interrupt your studies in order to, let's say, build a sukkah or to do a particular mitzvah which is demanded? by a particular time in the calendar which has to be done right here right now in other words even the talmud says rabbi agrees that you do have to suspend your learning of torah momentarily in order to perform a mitzvah but this doesn't explain why how he says in this mishnah that it surpasses it there's one thing if you say it's equal to it or it's necessary to even interrupt your learning of torah your study of torah in order to to perform a mitzvah that is mandated is governed by a certain time frame okay a certain time constraint that's fine but to say that it surpasses it moreover in the same uh, piece of talmud in the same passage over there the talmud says the talmud continues and says that doesn't quote it doesn't write shiva himself agree that one who studies torah if it's on condition that it should lead to action then this torah is worth its while and if not god forbid then the talmud says some really terrible expressions of you know the person is not even worthy to be alive if a whole purpose is just to study torah and not to lead to any action that's true that what the talmud is saying is that if you're studying torah and it's not with the intention of leading to action to bring to some practical viable application of your study then the entire learning is so to speak lacking the entire learning is not is not complete it's missing its wholesomeness it's missing its complete state of being that's true but it still doesn't explain how good deeds or in this case the shemtov, the Kesar Shem Tov, the crown of, of good name of good deeds should surpass should be Ola should be even higher should go up so to speak even over the study of torah because the way we explained it the way it comes out from the talmud is basically what it's saying is that in order for the learning to have a complete state of 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 being that means it should be essentially it's what torah should be then it has to have the the deep-rooted purpose of it leading to action it has to come to action it has to at least come to action and potential in the person's learning okay that's true But that's basically saying that the action helps complement the Torah. So in that sense, if you think about it, it would see that the Torah is greater, not the action is greater. The action is contributing to the Torah learning and making it wholesome and making it complete and making it purposeful. But how can we maintain this saying over here of Abshira ben Yochai in the 13th Mishnah of this week's Pirkei Avos of chapter 4, that it even surpasses Torah study? So the Rebbe says, the explanation of it is as follows. You see, all of us collectively, when I say all of us, meaning from the simple people, the simplest of of Jews that are just engaged in the action, so to speak, in the implementation of the actionable mitzvot, of the physical mitzvot, to the greatest scholars, even to the top of the tier, which is, someone like Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechai, who is ultimate purpose, his is entire endeavor, and his ultimate purpose is just Torah so, um just the mere engagement in Torah, nothing else whatsoever, all of us together are serving the same collective purpose, which is what? To fulfill the Kavona, the intent that Hashem had in making this world, which is to make this world a dear a dwelling place down here for Hashem's presence. And for that, we have to cover all points. In other words, you need everything. Just like you cannot have a society with just government officials you need to also have workers you need to also have the, the, the private sector you need people collecting garbage so to speak you need people cleaning the streets at the same time you need to have a mayor you need to have a police force and you need to have business people and you need to have academics you can't in order to have a complete society that complements itself and that has a full functioning viable uh future that it has to have all facets all aspects of things so we all come together in fulfilling this purpose of creation, why Hashem created the world. So we need from the lowest person, which is those who are just capable of just doing the physical mitzvot, to the highest point those who are like Shimon and Be'yachai, who are Torah so, and not so that their entire and only exclusive endeavor is the study of Torah now those who are work in the world so to speak meaning those who are come who are involved in worldly matters which is your typical jew your average jew okay most the majority of jewish people you know some more some less but are involved in the world whether it's you know earning the day you know the 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 living the day-to-day activities involved in mundane and with that and through that to serve hashem how do they have the ability how are they ever able to rise above the world in order to elevate the world? You see, because there is a rule. There's a rule that the Talmud says, Ein chavush matir which literally translates, a prisoner cannot free himself. In other words, if you're in shackles, if you're chained up, you need someone else or you need some power outside of yourself in order to be able to free you from it so if we're engaged in the worldly matters if we're involved in the world if we're in the trenches of the physical world how then are we able to rise above and with that help the world rise which is the purpose to make the world a place for hashem a dwelling place for hashem so the answer is that because this phenomenon exists which phenomena the ones of Torah, the ones that are above the world They are beyond the world. They are not involved in worldly matters. They're not even involved in mitzvot, which connect to worldly matters. Their entire endeavor, their exclusive engagement is only in study of Torah. Therefore, together, since we're all a collective, they're able to, so to speak, give us that power through their study of Torah. They're able to give us that power to elevate ourselves somewhat above the world, even while we're still in the world. So, where do we see this, for example? You see, take the person who's involved in worldly matters, goes to work every day, is involved in earning a living, in dealing with this, and dealing with that. However, the Torah says, and the halacha is, that even somebody who's terribly busy all day still needs to set aside some time for study of Torah. The expressions that the sages use, at least some time in the morning and some time in the evening. There has to be some Torah study. Now, while that person's studying Torah, where do they get the ability? Where do they get the strength? Where do they get the potential to be able to tear themselves away, so to speak, from everything that's going on in their lives, from all the mundane things, and elevate themselves and totally lock out, lock everything else out, and just in focus and engage in the study of Torah and not be distracted, both literally and figuratively. That's because this phenomenon exists; that there are those that are all the time Torah. Now on the other hand in order for those who are Torah those that give us the strength to be able to rise above in order for them to connect to us they need to have also this phenomena this idea that while they're studying Torah while they're detached from the world while they're removed from all the mundane yet deep within that the ultimate purpose is that it should quote lead to action that there should be a connection that it to the world that it should come to affect the world and this is what the Yerushalmi means this is what the Talmud means when it says that Rav Hashim ben Yochai admits in other words he agrees and he holds that the learning itself has to be for the purpose on condition quote unquote that it should come to action that it should lead to that that it should be able to affect that however however The question still remains, this is what's necessary. This is what we need, but how is it really possible? In other words, the person who is exclusively engaged in the study of Torah and is totally therefore removed from everything in the world, from anything mundane, totally in a spiritual realm. How is he able to, even in the deepest of his thoughts, somewhere in the subconscious even, how is he able to have some connection to this world, to the, to the, to the worldly things, to material things, to the, to the, like we said, quote, that it should be unconditioned condition to lead to action. How is it possible when he's so totally removed from the world? And the answer is that if one is thinking just and only, exclusively, about Torah, meaning with no connection at all, to it leading at some level, leading to action, leading to the performance of mitzvot and having an effect on this world, then that is a rotzow. That is him having a yearning, a burning forward thrust to godliness, but it's lacking the shuv, the, quote, return. You know, this, this. this means in some way, if you think about it, that really what this great scholar is thinking about is only of himself. In other words, it's about him. It's about what he feels. It's about that spiritual satisfaction, albeit it's spiritual and holy, but it's still not the ultimate. The ultimate is the true, the true uh, purpose, the true objective is not just my satisfaction, my spiritual pleasure, so to speak, if I am on that level of Tarasso menasso, but the ultimate is to have betul to Hashem, to have betul to Hashem, an absolute subservience to the cause that Hashem, for which Hashem created the world, which is what? To bring this all into the world and to elevate the world, and therefore, my if I am true to this cause in other words if I have the beetle and it's not just about me but it's about what Hashem wants because I have beetle to Hashem then my ratso also incorporates in it the shuv which is gives me now the allows me now the gives me the ability to while I am on the loftiest level of Torah study to still have in mind and still have some connection to quote, the action that involves and is connected to worldly things. Now, where do we see this? We actually see this in a living example in the life of Rav Shemmei The Talmud relates that for the 12 years that he was hidden in the cave with his son, he was totally detached from the world. After 12 years, when he got word from Eliyahu Navi that he's not to fear anymore, the decree has been abolished, he left the cave and on his way home, what did he see? He witnessed people plowing the fields, mowing the lawns, engaged in mundane activity. And to him, he was in a a totally different world. He was in a totally different realm that just he couldn't tolerate it. So wherever he looked, not that he, God forbid, intended to do any harm, but automatically as an automatic result of his gaze, everything burnt up. And suddenly a heavenly voice came out and said, what do you hear? You came out to destroy my world. Go back. And he went back for another year and that year it was like a transitional period and it says after the 13th year, meaning after that extra year when he went out, now his son had not fully transitioned and transformed. So wherever his son looked and immediately it started to cause some harm, immediately Rabbi Shimon would gaze and he would, quote, cure the problem. He would correct it. So what do you see? You see, and what did he say to his son? He said to his son, don't worry, it's enough for the world. It's sufficient for the world that you and I are here to study Torah, which means not that nobody else has to study Torah, but the fact that we are on the level of Torah Naso, that is sufficient for the world, and everybody else has to be involved in what they're doing, and each on his own level, to the extent that they're able to study Torah, uh, whatever the ratio, the breakdown is, how much Torah they study versus how much action they're involved in the world. And this actually happens to be hinted in the numbers. You see the number of 12 is very much connected to Seder Hishtalshelus, to the normal standard, uh, so to speak, world operation, the way the world operates. In fact, we see the cycle of the year is 12 months. And there are other things too, without getting into the details. Whereas 13 already connects to something that's above, that's supernatural, that's above and beyond the realm of nature. Where do we see that? One a good example is the 13 attributes of mercy which we recite on Yom Kippur and on special days in order to evoke God's mercy. Think about it. What it's really saying is this goes and reaches into a level which is above and beyond because here a person sinned here a person maybe god forbid is deserving of the opposite of good and yet by evoking the 13 attributes of mercy we're able to bring down something which is beyond the normal order of things which is beyond the nor the normal realm of of nature and this actually tells us a very simple thing as far as the number 12 is concerned Rotzo and Shuv are two separate things, they actually contradict each other, either you're here or you're there, but as far as 13 is concerned, which is above and beyond, which already is coming and is connected to Hashem, there Ratzo and Shuv come together, and thus you have the idea where the action, this is what Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai was saying, that the action, the ma'isim tovim, Ola Al gabayim, let's translate it, it goes up, it brings up the Torah itself. In other words, this is the proof that the Torah itself is being done in the right way, that the ratzai itself is the correct ratzai, it's not about you, but it's about the cause, it's about Hashem, and therefore it all comes together and arises higher. And this is actually also hinted in the fact that this Mishnah happens to be Mishnah 13 of this fourth chapter of Pirkei Avot. And this is the connection to Lagba Omer, because we see on Lagba Omer, which is like we said, the day of passing of a tzaddik, is the culmination of all his life's work, all his life's endeavor, all the spiritual heights come together, he's at his highest point in his life, and he had the greatest revelations, but what did he do? He didn't keep it for himself, but he gathered his students, as the Zohar describes, and he revealed it to them. And this is contrary to what the other sages did. There were other sages that were engaged in the Kabbalistic teachings and in the secret to the Torah, but they didn't reveal it. He endeavored to connect the revealed part of the Torah and the secret part of the Torah and to bring it together. And this is where we see where it wasn't about just him and his, so to speak, spiritual satisfaction, his spiritual pleasure, but it was about affecting the world and bringing it down to the world. And this also is hinted in the Parsha that we read this week. Bihar, like we explained in the beginning, it has the two extremes. And most of the Parsha talks about things it goes, descends lower and lower and lower. And it, and it basically, you can see where the person is involved in the world, whether it's plowing, whether it's worse, whether it's even getting sold as a slave to a non-Jew. All the realities of this dark world. But at the same time, what is this parsha called? Bahar Sinai. Hashem is telling us at the same time that we are engaged in the world, that we are in the world, we're involved in the world, still at the same time, we are in a state, in a mindset of a higher spirituality. We're on, quote, Bahar in the mountain. And you see this also in the very first mitzvah of the parsha. At the same time, that the Torah itself legitimizes the question that we ponder the quarry how are we going to eat what are we going to eat in other words you see a person is not looking at matters with blind faith so to speak in hashem he's looking at it from a prism of reality how am i going to do it how am i going to manage yet at the same time what is he doing the haaretz shabbos lashem it's a shabbos for hashem it is on the highest and loftiest level